Well, we continue perhaps maybe for the last one, we'll see, looking at uh, problem passages made plain. So we're looking at how to interpret the book of Revelation tonight, because there's so many views, so people think, so many ways of interpretation, so some people think. But that's not really the case. Let's look at the beginning of Revelation chapter 1, as yeah, Revelation 1 will do. Just a few verses there, please, just to set things off. Revelation chapter 1. Let's look at the first three verses of Revelation 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testament of Jesus Christ and to all things that he saw. Important verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. When you've got in verse 1, I'll just mention this, that word shortly. It is a special Greek word, I won't go into it now, but it doesn't mean immediate. It means that when it does happen, it happens suddenly. Not necessarily shortly, like something happening in five minutes. And that's also true, of course, um, (coughs) when you have in verse 3, keep those things we've written for the time is near. Well, in God's time of eternity, that could be any time. And the time there, the, the two Greek words, again, you won't go into it, doesn't necessarily mean chronological time, because that is not the issue here. But time, when it happens, will become sudden. But I won't go into that now. But interpreting the book of Revelation, there are many who are challenged in their ministry, perhaps to tackle this book, the last book of the Bible. And they say, oh no, I can't do it. There's so many interpretations. Anyway, I don't understand it either. So they leave it alone. Mm. But you can see in verse 3, there's blessing for those who read this book of Revelation. Those who hear the words whenever it's preached or taught of this prophecy. And keep those things that's written. Keep it in your heart that so many aspects of this book is, of course, still future. From chapter 4 onwards. Chapters 2 and 3 are about the history of seven existing churches, particularly in the first century, but they also have a prophetic meaning as well as a literal historical meaning, which I won't go into now. Now, there are three main methods of interpretation that people raise up. One is called the preterist view. I'll explain that in a minute. The other one is the historical view, and the other one is the futuristic view. Now, we take the futuristic view that much of Revelation is still future. If you like, prophecy is future history yet to be fulfilled. That's the best way of looking at it. So, again, uh, a man called David L. Cooper in America, who was an excellent Bible teacher, he says, when scripture makes sense, seek no other sense, or it becomes nonsense. I think there's some truth in that. So we're challenged to take this word literally. And that's what we do. 
which is, of course, mainly the futuristic view, apart from perhaps Revelation 2 and 3. And chapter 1 is a description of the Lord revealing all his purposes to the Apostle John on Patmos. So let's just have a look at these three different views. Though those the majority of Christians, unfortunately, take this in a non-literal way. And this all started way back in the 3rd century AD by a man called Oregon and also Clement of Alexandria. They were part of a Bible school in Alexandria, Egypt. And they were very strongly influenced by Greek literature. And so they interpreted the book of Revelation with Greek thinking in mind. Now the Greek thinking in mind is this. God is not interested in this world apart from salvation because this world is sinful and God is finished with it and he only has a future in heaven to consider. That's the way they thought about it. So they dismiss any future for Israel. They dismiss anything concerning the millennium and it's all heaven now. When the Lord comes to the church he, he blots everything else out and creates a new earth and a new heaven. Well, I'm sorry, they miss so much out in the rest of the book of Revelation, as far as we can see. Now, that's exactly what happened. So, what they did, in looking at it through Greek thinking eyes and minds, they interpreted this book and much Bible prophecy with a spiritual or allegorical way of saying it. In other words, it isn't what it says and what you read. You read into it and try and interpret it from a, an allegorical, non-literal, and a spiritual sense. Well, that isn't what this is all about. So that's the basic outline, and even today, from the Reformation onwards, uh, people still hold the view that God is finished with Israel. You don't take the book of Revelation literally. You spiritualize it, you allegorize it, and it's only the church now and forget Israel. And God will judge the nations and blot them all out. There's an element of truth in that at the end, as we know. But that's the overall interpretation. And within that view, there is what is called the preterist view. It comes from a Latin word, preter, which means all fulfilled in the past. So that you look at the book of Revelation saying, it's all finished, now forget it. And their view is that a lot of this book and the trumpet judgments as well as the seal judgment, the vile or bold judgments, that all happened around AD 70 when the Romans attacked Jerusalem, destroyed it and took Israel off and they said, there are God's finished with Israel. So they centred all around AD 70, the destruction of Israel, Jerusalem and the temple. And so right, God has finished with them. That's, that's their view looking at it. And they interpreted Matthew 24 and 25, which is very much linked with the judgments in Revelation. It's a parallel, 24 and 25, with the judgments of Revelation 6 to about 18. That's their view. So they plan it all. All of this has happened around AD 70 with that terrible judgment and destruction. Now, really, it doesn't fit, but that's what it is. Another view that they have is that this whole book of Revelation is a record of the conflict between the early church, Judaism, who reject Jesus, and sheer paganism from the Roman Empire. Well, might just a, a, a little bit of truth in that, but that's not the main message. So they view it as purely history and not prophecy at all. 
So all this was fulfilled around AD 70, therefore forget it. That's why they don't bother to study it anyway. Now there's a, quite a good man called Hendrickson. He is an American. And he is one of the, or was, one of the leading Reformation people and a Protestant. And he was a rampant amillennialist, which these people were, the preterist view, the historical view, which we look at in a moment. They don't take the future at all in this book of Revelation. So they look at it in an entirely different way in which you and I would do. Strange, isn't it? But what did we say earlier, this man David L. Cooper, when the word of God and revelation in particular makes literal sense and good common sense, seek no other sense or it becomes nonsense. And of course that's what they did. In a sense, what they interpreted was sheer nonsense. So there's a bit of a conflict here between believers about this as how the Bible generally is interpreted and especially Bible prophecy. But you see, if everything is in the past, so much what we see around us now is building up to what we know is the future in the book of Revelation. So that's having a knock on the head. Well, that's preterism. Everything happened in the past, first century. So forget it now. So they don't bother to examine it, except from a spiritual application for the Christian. Then the second one is the historical view. In other words, it this is purely, this is one way, the second way in which the church looks at the book of Revelation. That all the book of Revelation is fulfilled in the whole of church history, say 2,000 years. So they put the church in right through there into the great tribulation, all the judgments, right through to the great white throne. And the amazing thing is, and I don't know how they do this, it's nonsense. They fit the beamer reward throne for the Christian which happens obviously after the rapture and resurrection of the church, they fit that with the great white throne judgment of all the unbelievers. Terrible scene. And they put them both together. How can you put both together? Well, the reason being is that you, they don't think about the millennium. They dismiss it. So they dovetail the bema with the great white throne. Well, sorry. That doesn't hold water at all. So they say the total history in the book of Revelation, which will, yes, culminate in the second advent of Christ. They believe that, all right. But through church, <coughs> through church history, there was a Roman Catholic man whose name was Joachim, and he was quite a Roman Catholic scholar. And he was largely responsible for the historical view that everything that we read in the book of Revelation is all happening in the church age. Really. Oh, where's the Antichrist? Mm -hmm. Where's the false prophet? Mm -hmm. Where's the globalism, which is planned, of course. It's not here yet. Antichrist's not here, the false prophet's not here. So that falls down there, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. This is a problem. But this man, Hendrickson, bless him, he's a believer. Well known, he wrote a book on uh, the book of Revelation. But he dismissed the historic and the future view and held to this preterism view. So he was all mixed up there. Quite a scholar. Won't dispute that at all. But that's what they say. Then you have later on, um, a few hundred years after that, this Roman Catholic scholar, Joachim, as it is, and his view was adopted in the Reformation. 
that they take the amillennial view, <coughs> the non-literal view, it's spiritualized, allegorized, and you can make it mean what you like. And that you just can't do that. If you take the word literally, especially most of it is in sequence, not all, but most of it. There are one or two parallel passages that are in line with other passages in the book. Mostly it is chronological, as you, well, we believe that anyway. So, with their view, there is no futuristic view. All this is happening in the church age, culminating in the second coming of the Lord. But they dismiss the rapture. Think of the second coming, the Lord comes. Well, Zechariah says he comes to the Mount of Olives. The disciples are told by the angels, the same Jesus whom we see going into heaven will come back in the same way, where? To the Mount of Olives. How do they deal with that? I don't know. Because he comes back to be king of Israel, you know. They dismiss that. They seem to dismiss so many prophetic books of the Bible. I suppose that's why they concentrate mainly on the New Testament. And we never really study the Old Testament, which is great value, as we know that. The other thing, of course, is that they consider that the Pope is the Antichrist. Well, my answer to that is, which Pope are you talking about? There's been hundreds, dozens, dozens and dozens of them. So that falls down, doesn't it? That can't be so. The strange thing with this, they put in their view that each generation is the last one. Well, that falls down, doesn't it? How many generations have we had since about the 4th or 5th century? How many Popes have we had since then? Quite a few dozen, I suppose. So all that falls down as well. So what do you do with the book of Revelation when it confuses so many who take literal thinking? And they say there's no future fulfillment. It's all happening now in the church age. And uh, this interpretation has lasted now for 15 centuries. So when you try to talk to a person about the rapture or about Israel's future or the millennium, they don't know what you're talking about. Because they never get any teaching on it. It's dismissed completely with either the preterist view or the historical view. So that's a big problem in itself and it's particularly highlighted in the book of Revelation. Do you know, John Calvin wrote a commentary on every book of the Bible except Revelation. He didn't know how to handle it. Not surprising because of their... Really? historical view yeah he never wrote a book on the book of Revelation he didn't know how to do it because of the historical interpretation what was he a millennialist yes he was yes oh. um, but he just could not see so much of the book of Revelation as being future prophecy future history he couldn't see it so he left it well alone well the third major view of course is a futurist view which I hope we hold that to ourselves this is a view of the, what we call premillennialist view. That is, the Lord comes back for the church, before the tribulation, and before he comes back to set up his millennial rule. So we're pre-millennium. I think that's very straightforward. So he comes for us first, then the seven years of the great tribulation, that's easily proved in scripture, and then he returns to the Mount of Olives, become king of Israel, judge of living nations, exactly as Revelation tells us, later chapters. Now, the futurist view sees, obviously, the first 
chapter is very much the revelation of the Lord Jesus to John, revealing, wait, well, he himself really as a great high priest, God the Son. But also, he was instructed, John was instructed to write what the Lord told him to. Now, some of the, I think probably the authorized Bibles, I don't know where the yours is, is, they call it the revelation of St. John the Divine. Sorry, it's not the revelation of John, it's oh, the revelation yeah. of Jesus. Amen. I don't know if you've got that in your yeah. Bible. I have, I've never noticed yeah. that before. Revelation of St. John, it's nothing. It was given to John. The revelation of Jesus Christ. That's right, the revelation of Jesus Christ, exactly what it is. So, therefore, we. <coughs> another thing you see, there's another group which are called post millennialists. In other words, the church will establish the millennium. Really? Is Christ ruling? Do you see him on the earth ruling? No, not yet. He's coming eventually. That's so, Christ comes before the millennium. And some say that the church is in the millennium now. Really? Is Christ ruling from Jerusalem? No. Even the Antichrist and the false prophet have not yet come on the scene either. Some say that uh, we're already in the tribulation. Yes, that's another view I was just going to mention. You're quite right, Colin. So what a strange statement to make. Either we're in the millennium or in the tribulation. In fact, we're in neither. It's before all these things take place. So the futurist view, thinking of the future, begins with chapter 4 and runs right through to the end of chapter 22. Chapters 2 and 3 deal with seven literal existing churches, as you know. You need to say too much about that. But they also have a prophetic interpretation as well, which is very interesting, but I'm not going to get into that now. So chapter 4 onwards, right through, especially to chapter 19, because there in chapter 19 is the Lord's second coming, his judging of the living nations, setting up his millennium, and the Antichrist and false prophet are cast in the lake of fire and so on. You know that. And then eventually he's setting up the great white throne. Now you don't see all that. As I said, they put the reward throne of the church with the great white throne. How can you put the two together? That seems quite impossible. So chapter 4 to 19 particularly are the future times. Now, I won't go into this now. Maybe later you may want to look at it. The uh, chapter 6 through to the end of chapter 18 and perhaps early part of 19 deals with what is called the 70th week of Daniel Daniel chapter 9 and the 70th week a week there is the Hebrew word heptar or shabuah it means a group of 7 it's a group of 7 years or a week of years a shabu of years a week of 7 years so all these events will take place eventually in a concerted seven-year period from chapter 6, with chapter 4 and 5 very much heavenly seen, chapter 6 onwards is the judgments of God upon the earth in the seals, the trumpets, and the bold judgments. That will all take place, uh, you can link that with Matthew 24 and 25 future, but it's all linked up with the tribulation judgments of God upon <coughs> this earth for its rebellion against him and his son father and son so that's a way to look at it and it's linked up with Daniel 9 24 to 27 it's the 70th week of Daniel how do we know that well later on when you get through into the middle chapters there's a division of periods of time 
two periods of three and a half years. The first three and a half years, 144,000 preachers of the gospel of the king right John the Baptist and the early ministry of Jesus preaching. They're preaching in the first half when there's a false peace and they can do it. During the time of Jacob's trouble, which is the awful time, second three and a half years, see, two, three and a half, seven years, that's what it is, uh, you can't really do any preaching at all. There's so much turmoil and destruction going on and the Antichrist power over the world. And also you've got comments in chapter 12, I think it is, are 1,260 days, which is 42 months, which is three and a half years. So we're dealing with accurate numbers. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes back to the other views, the Petrus and the historical view, they say, well, you can't take these numbers literally at all. It's purely symbolic. Mm. 144,000, no, not JWs, but it's a church. Mm-hmm. Really? Sorry, you can't stretch it that far at all. 42 weeks, 1260 days, three and a half years. Those figures are literal. 144,000 are literal. The two witnesses are literal. The days, the months and the years are literal. You can't suddenly say, and when they come to the millennium of the thousand years, oh, you can't take that literal either. But you do, you have to do with the others. 42 months, 12, 60 days, three and a half years, 104,002 witnesses. You take those literal, should do. Therefore, you take the thousand years millennial reign literal, but they don't. They say that's just a long period of time when the church is on the earth. Sorry, that's not true at all. The church is not even going to be here in the Great Tribulation. In Matthew 24 and 25, when it relates God's judgments, on Israel too, and the nations, the church is not even mentioned. And after chapter 4, particularly, that's a heavenly scene, when you come to chapter 6 of Revelation, and right through to chapter 18, the church is not even considered. It's because it's not on the earth. We're with the Lord in heaven. And chapter 4, if you like, is a, is a hint when John is told, come up here, come up hither. Which, if you like, in a, in a true symbolic way, that's the church going to be with the Lord wrapped in resurrection. Therefore, the church is gone, and the church is not in the following chapters, until you get to chapter 19, when we're called the bride, married to the Lamb, and we're the Lamb's wife as well. And when you come through to chapter 12, you've got particularly a teaching on the future of Israel, as well, as in Matthew 24 and 25. So you've got all these things, you take the numbers literally. You can't dismiss 1260 days, 42 months, three and a half years, 144,000, two witnesses and so on. You can't dismiss that. So you can't dismiss a thousand years either. You can't pick and choose what you want. And it's very, very important, this is a key, always compare scripture with scripture, you won't go wrong. Find out the links and other scriptures that bear up what you are believing and seeing in that particular section of scripture. So that's very important as well. So Revelation, Revelation 20, as you know, must relate to the millennial kingdom, Christ rule upon the earth. That's important. That's in chapters 21 and 22, right at the very end. We know that. That's what happens. Then after that, there's a new heaven and a new earth. 
See, it's all chronological. Amen. But it's all crushed together. And she was saying 22 chapters. That's amazing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's the revelation the Lord gave to the Apostle John and trusted him with it. That's the amazing thing, isn't it? The Lord trusted a man, one of his apostles, the only one living at the time. The rest would be martyred. And John lived to in his 90s. Quite amazing. This is all on that isolated island of Patmos. So, as I say, this is so important. Now, there's some wrong words. I'm sorry, I'm going to mention it. I'll explain it. The literal view of Scripture maintains this view of understanding the Scriptures. I'm going to use the words, or I'll try and explain it, pardon the comments. The literalist, the premillennialist, taking this Word of God literally, holds to the historical, grammatical, contextual, hermeneutic interpretation of Scripture. Oh, sorry about those wrong words. <laughs> Let me explain it. <coughs> historical means what you read is exactly what you read literally. It will eventually become history. After all, prophecy is future history. So it takes that true future historical view as well as Revelation 2 and 3 about the seven churches. They were literal churches in the first few hundred years. Now, grammatical simply means what you read in plain English, let it become plain English and don't distort it means something it doesn't. You take the grammar and the language literally as if you read it. That's our view. Contextual, as I you get the context right. You link scripture with scripture. Look at the context. Is there anywhere else in scripture that links this, throws more light on what you're reading? Yes, there are many of them. But it's known in the Bible well, isn't it? And that's the point, but that's all. Hermeneutic, oh, what a long word. I didn't even know what that word was for many years as a Christian. I'd look it up. Hermeneutics means, it's called the science of interpretation. How to interpret the Bible right. That's hermeneutics. What a long word. I wouldn't bother about it. Just say, interpreting the Bible right. So that's, that's it. And within that framework, the church has a limited period on the earth until the rapture and resurrection. God has a way of bringing Israel back into the land, like now, but also they come back in unbelief and they're still under the judgment of God. But he intends to bless them according to his covenants. So Israel has a future. God made an unconditional covenant, as you know, with Abraham. Renewed it with Isaac and then with Jacob. They became the ten, the twelve nations of the tribes to make up the nation of Israel. That goes right through their history and God's dealings with them, his revelation to them, especially with names. That's all done. But then when Jesus came and they rejected him, God put Israel into a siding, if you like, and we're on the main line now. When we're gone, he brings it back in the main line again. And works out those seven years. At the end of the seven years, Daniel 9, 24 to 27, end of those seven years, the Lord comes back and he establishes a kingdom. Israel repents, Zechariah. That's a great and neglected book of prophecies. Zechariah is very important. They see him and they pierce him and mourn and be sad and repent. And a third of them are saved, two thirds perish. That's what Zechariah 13 says. So that's taken the Bible literally, and therefore Israel has a future under their king. The Davidic covenant, again, is unconditional. God can't break his word. If he did, he'd break it to you and me. Impossible. So I'm hurrying this through. I thought we might just think about this. In chapter 1 and verse 1, 
Let's look at this verse. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, as to John, uh, to the Son, the Father giving it to the Son, to show his servants who's going to do it for John. Things which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. He bore witness to the word of God and to the testament of Jesus Christ and to all things that he saw in the vision form. So we have it here. Uh, I mentioned about verse 3. Things must shortly come to pass or take place. I've explained this. The word shortly or even the word quickly doesn't mean soon. I've explained this. Uh, it may take 2,000 years before certain aspects are fulfilled. Like the Lord's coming for the church. Like the Lord allowing the great tribulation to come. 2,000 years after the... Well, this is written about 1896. When John was a very old man. Last book was written. And of course, around nearly 2,000 years on, are we? And these events have not taken place. But when they do come, the Greek word means suddenly and then quickly. Suddenly. Go to the end of the book of Revelation to chapter 22. Would you see it very similarly? As the book opens, so the book closes. Chapter 22. And look at the last verse but one. Revelation 22 and verse 20. You can see a similar word there that he gave to John at the beginning. He would testify to these things, and John did, and that's all of the rest of the book before it. And this is what Jesus says. Surely I am coming quickly. That's the words of Jesus. In other words, I'm coming suddenly. When it does happen, it will be sudden, but it may not be soon. I've been waiting 2,000 years won't be soon, but it will be sudden. That's the meaning of the word. And then the reply by the church and the Holy Spirit, even so, come Lord Jesus. Now, whether this is new to you, whether you already believe it, uh, I don't know, I hope you believe it, but there it is. So, when the Lord does come, it will be sudden, it will be swift, and it will not be announced. The Lord has told us about this coming for the church, the trumpet's going to blow, and off we go. But when these judgments come, no announcement, bang, we're suddenly here, and the church is gone. And they begin with the seal judgments, then the trumpet judgments, and then the bowl judgments. The seal and the trumpets, mainly in the first half, and the bowl judgments, which are very severe, happen very rapidly in the second part of the great tribulation, of the day of Jacob's trouble, tough for Israel. And uh, the word there is entakis. You got the word tachometer from it, from there. In other words, it governs the speed, and the Lord is governing the speed of all this. In that way, right? That's what it is. So, when the Lord does act, he acts very suddenly with swiftness, and there'll be no announcement about this at all. It's the same with the flood, back in Noah's day. Noah was building the ark. He was a preacher righteous for over a hundred years. Nobody believed him. He was building an ark. The flood judgment was coming. Nobody believed him. When it did come, it came sudden. Very rapid. And people perished and they were safely in the ark. 
That was sudden, that was dramatic. Same with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, an announcement only to Abraham. And Lot was warned and dragged out by the angels. Then came the sudden destruction. They weren't expecting it. Sudden destruction, swift, sudden, and mainly unannounced. That's it. So when the Lord does act, he acts suddenly, there's rapidity about his dealings, very decisive, purposeful, very much so. Go to Galatians chapter 4 with me now, would you? This is about his first coming. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. Galatians 4 and verse 4. Well, it's about, you know this text very well, don't you? Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4 is about the suddenness of the coming of the Lord Jesus for his birth. When the fullness of the time had come, that appointed time for Jesus to be born, not sooner, not later, when the time had fully come, in some versions, when the fullness of the time had come, when it was really ready, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law and so on, to redeem. Verse 5. When the fullness of time came, when the fullness of time came for the flood, it came like that. When the fullness of time for Sodom and Gomorrah's destruction, it came like that. When the fullness of time came for Jesus to be born, it was absolutely right. The amazing thing is this, it was absolutely right. When he was born, it was a time of the final feast of Israel, when everyone, every male particularly, had to gather in Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles. <clears throat> so all the Jewish people were there, and that meant that Mary and Joseph had to go down, Mary heavy with child, all the way from Nazareth down to Bethlehem where they were born. And it was there that the Romans said, we want to have a census of the population. You go where you were born. Now they lived in Nazareth, but were told in Micah that Bethlehem of Ephrata was the place for Jesus to be born. It was at the right time. They travelled very slowly all the way from Nazareth, right down to Bethlehem. When you think of that edict, that instruction for all the Roman occupied world was to do the census in every country. That law must have come from the Caesar weeks in advance, coming by sea, all the way down to Israel. But when it did come, it was the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, precise. All that edict might have been given months ago in Rome by the Caesar, but when it came, eventually it came at the right time on the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the same with the death of Jesus. He had to die on the right day, Passover, he had to die in the right place for sacrifice, he had to rise again at the right time, three days. God worked precisely to a pattern, deliberately so. He can work with swiftness, suddenness, and often unannounced. And when the world, the world has got a clue, they have no idea what's ahead. Many of the churches don't know either because they don't teach this. So the church is going to get caught out when they're raptured. Well, the resurrection is obvious. But when God does act, he acts with suddenness, rapidity. He acts with decisive purposefulness 
That's what he does. And this book of the Revelation highlights that especially. So it is a tremendous uh, book to study. So chapters 4 to 19 cover that brief period squashed into seven years. All those terrific events in detail were all squashed together in two groups of three and a half years. Amazing, isn't it? Well, over 2,000 years, you might say, the mills of God grind slowly but very surely. That's what he does. And suddenly, action. I think we go back into the Old Testament now. Go back to the book of prophet Isaiah, chapter 48. Isaiah, chapter 48, please. Chapter 48. And when you look at verse 3. To the Lord knows the end from the beginning. Well, we believe that, don't we? The boundary is eternal. So he knows the end from the beginning. Chapter 48, verse 3. I have declared the former things, past history, from the beginning. They went forth from my mouth. What God said took place. But Noah's flood. Song. And I caused them to hear it. Suddenly, there's the word, suddenly, I'm using New King James, suddenly I did them. And they came to pass. Oh, there it is, isn't it? Go to the first part of verse 5, same chapter. Even from the beginning I have declared it to you. Before it came to pass, I proclaimed it to you. Well, he did that with Isaiah. And Isaiah is a fantastic book of prophecy as well. Again, largely neglected. Go on to, from 6 through to 9, same chapter. You have heard, see all this. And will you not declare it? I have made you hear new things from this time. Isaiah is a book of prophecy. I'll tell you things, new things, I'm telling you now. Even hidden things that weren't there before. God didn't say it before. And you did not know them. They're created now. And not from the beginning. So know the Lord continually doing things in his plans, beginning to bring them to pass, bit by bit. They were created now, not from the beginning, and before this day you've not heard them, unless you should say, of course I knew them. Surely did not hear. Surely did not know. Surely from long ago your ear was not opened. For I knew that you would do very treacherously, that's where the Israel is evil, and were called a transgressor from the womb. That was Israel's sad plight at the time. They didn't know, they didn't hear, but God revealed it to his prophet and he wrote down what God said. It's an amazing book of prophecy, this is. Look at verse 12. Listen to me, O Jacob, that's Israel. Israel, my court. I'm he, I'm the first, I'm the last. Well, read that in the book of Revelation, don't we? I'm Alpha Omega, first and last, beginning and the end. And as I was told this, 2,700 years ago, isn't that amazing? Will you go to the book of the well, New Testament, the letter Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 1. I just want to reinforce what I've been saying. 
Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And look at verse 10, if you will, please. Chapter 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. In verse 9, it's about these Thessalonian people turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Verse 9. Now verse 10. And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus Christ, who delivers us from the wrath to come. That proves it not in the tribulation, doesn't it? Among other references. Where to wait. The word is wait up in the Greek. And that we can expect him. The word is imminent. The Lord can come from the church any time. We don't know when the last person is saved. But any time the Lord could come for his church. And sudden we're gone. Swift. Rapid. Sudden. Gone. The world wonders where we've gone. That's what that is. We're to wait up. To be ready. For the sudden action of the Lord. Trumpet blowing. Voice of the Lord. Off we go. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Well go over to Titus. Just after the second lesson. Titus chapter 2. And to first of all in Timothy, then Titus chapter 2. And looking similarly as the Thessalonian comment, Titus 2 verse 13. Yeah. Well, I could do 11 to 13 for context. Titus 2 11 to 13. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness, worldly lust, we should live soberly, mean seriously, righteously, and godly in this present age, and that applies to us too. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ. And his coming for the church will be sudden. It will be a blessed hope fulfilled for the church. The glorious appearing of Christ. When he comes to the church, the world won't know. But when he comes to the earth, everybody will know. Because he comes with his glory and the angels in the clouds, a kind of glory of brilliance. And the world will know his presence. But not for the church. They won't know. They won't hear the trumpet. Won't hear his voice. We will. And up we go. All very sudden. So the next great event really is the rapture of the church, as far as we're concerned. That's the next prophetic fulfillment to come to pass that's what it is well I think perhaps we'll leave it there I don't know what time I started but remember Revelation 22 verse 12 behold I am coming quickly or suddenly my reward is with me I'm going to reward faithful believers and I will come with great rapidity world events seem to be getting faster and faster towards these days I see so much around suffering a lot, I know. But uh, when the world scene comes to pass, Antichrist is in power, globalism is in power, and the Lord comes to judge very suddenly. His appearing to the world will be very sudden, unexpected. And this book, Revelation, reveals so much. He didn't reveal this Back in the Old Testament, he told Isaiah, new things I tell you. There's a lot in Isaiah that speaks of the future. Mm. Quite tremendous, isn't it? Mm. So eventually, of course, we come back with him. That's very clear. 
And just to finish off, we're going to look at two places. First of all, the short letter by Jude, before Revelation. It's very interesting that Jude is before Revelation, when they're very much connected. Jude, just before Revelation, look at verses 14 and 15. Jude 14 and 15. Just before Revelation, 14 and 15. With reference to Enoch, of course. You know, he was raptured. The Lord took him. Without warning, he didn't know it was coming either. He acted suddenly for that. Now, Enoch, the seventh of Adam, prophesied about these men. That's the apostates and false ones in early verses. Saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints, that you and me, coming back with him. One person. To execute judgment on all. The world isn't ready for it. To convict all who are ungodly. Come on, me words ungodly come in this verse. Ungodly, among them of all the ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against Christ, against him. So he comes to act with suddenness, swiftness, and judgment is on his. A revelation says he comes with a sickle in his hand to reap. That's the harvest of judgment, not the harvest of salvation. Later on in the Finally, go to chapter 5 of Revelation, verse 10. And this is linking up with Revel- uh, 1 Thessalonians 1, 10 and 5, 9, about the rapture. Chapter 5 and verse... Uh, let's go... Yeah, let's start at verse 10, shall we? Chapter 5 and verse 10. He has made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. What a marvellous promise. That's a promise to his church. Wonderful, isn't it? And we shall reign on the earth. There it is. And there's a man that worship scene as well. Go back to chapter 3, finally, verse 10. This links up with uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 10 and 5, 9. Revelation 3, 10. Again, this is part of the word to the churches. Revelation 3.10 to finish. He writes to the church of Philadelphia, which is a faithful evangelical church like today. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I will keep you from, the word is ek, ek, from, mean like word exit. I'll take you out from this world before the hour of trial comes upon the judgments of the great tribulation. I'll take you out. That will come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. The word dwell that means for those living in this world, settled down, loving this world's systems, going through the enjoyment, the entertainment, everything else, just simply enjoying the world the earth dwellers, they're at home here. I would suggest maybe you and I are not like that. And the Lord is going to bring this cloud of judgment upon those who are so settled down here under the Babylonish system of life. Life organized without the Lord. And the Lord isn't very pleased. He's coming to judge. 
this book of Revelation is all about that towards the end. This is a tremendous book. Let's look at chapter 1, verse 3 again and see what it says. Take it on board. Chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is he who reads 22 chapters. Those who hear the words from teaching of this prophecy and keep keep in your heart and mind things which are written in it. For the time is near sudden when the time comes. Sudden, dramatic, swift and unannounced. This is how to interpret the book of Revelation from a literal viewpoint which is I would suggest where we stand and I certainly do. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. Uh,